There's all these articles lately about how Instagram is changing the way restaurants and coffee shops are designing themselves in order for people to take better photos. It's funny. I was actually looking on Netflix earlier, some documentary that follows three teens, how Instagram is like impacting their life. And it's filmed all in Instagram stories. It probably is, you know, 1174 like snippets just all woven together. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. And welcome to episode number 114 of Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith, joined as always by Chris Boyer. Welcome back for another week. Welcome back, Reed. Happy uh, happy end of the weekend, because we always record at the end of the weekend. That's right. Usually Sunday nights. And uh, so here we are again. Thanks again for listening, for telling a friend, and for subscribing uh, or subscribing wherever you listen to your podcast. So we appreciate that. Appreciate the support. Touchpoint.health is the website. Uh, I would encourage you to go check out the latest episode of Health Fail, which is our newest show. Uh, really smart dialogue between the two co-hosts there, Stephen Cutberth and uh, Zach Giwa, on uh, kind of the evolution and some predictions of what healthcare may look like in the future. So anyway, really good episode. You should go check that out. That's a good one. I have to also say the exam room, this most recent one, is also very good because it's about how one pediatrician went after anti-vaccination people online. And I think that's also near and dear to my heart. That was also a very good one, kind of based off of a presentation that they now give after being attacked online for uh, telling everybody to get, get their vaccines. So go check those out. We'd love to have your feedback and certainly appreciate all those show hosts as well. All right, before we get started, and we're going to go back to the measurement well again. Uh, we did that a couple, <laughs> couple of episodes ago. Before we get into that, let's take a, a brief break and uh, hear from one of our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Using powerful AI-driven algorithms, Loyal's Guide helps patients along every step of their journey, from choosing a doctor and finding the nearest location to signing up for an event or clinical trial. Whether you are using Guide's chatbot, live chat, or the powerful combination of both, Loyal's engaging platform integrates seamlessly into your system, maximizes efficiency, and improves patients' digital experience. To learn more or schedule a demo, visit them online at loyalhealth.com forward slash demo. That is loyalhealth.com forward slash demo. Okay, Reed, you said that we we're going to go back to the measurement well. I don't think we can go back to the measurement well often enough. I think measurement is so important to organizations and, and particularly, you know, to, to really understand how they're doing things. And so I don't think that that's a bad uh, topic that can maybe pervade into many of our episodes moving forward. That's right. And, um, and we do. We talk about it, whether or not the episode is on measurement or not. I'm sure we probably touch on it to some degree quite often. But anyway, this one in particular, we're actually going to delve into content measurement. That, that's an interesting one because in, in one respect, you know, developing the content is a thing in content strategy and, and planning and content calendars. And not that some of those don't creep into the measurement side of the equation or maybe should be or maybe should be informed by or, or what have you. But actually measuring that content and what those KPIs may be is something I don't know that, that a lot of folks uh, think about. Well, I think a lot of people think about it, but I'm not sure a lot of them actually know how to do it right. I think that's always the challenge, right? Struggling to define what content is working for you, how effective it is. We all know that content is an important thing, but going down the path of starting to create a content strategy and a content approach, be it content marketing, brand journalism, whatever it is, it's really hard to set up a structure that you can regularly measure against. So today I'm excited that we're going to share some ideas around that. Awesome. Well, let's jump in and, uh, and see if we can figure out, because this isn't something that, that I have spent a lot of historical time with on the measurement side of the equation. 
So before we get into actually talking about how we measure, or or maybe as we get into talking about how we measure, one of the first things we probably should talk about is we all know what content is and content creation is, right? So so we know what that means. But as referring back to some of our former episodes around KPIs and developing KPIs for your organization, I think it's important for us to maybe talk about some content KPIs that you can consider. We found an article that actually breaks them down into several categories that I thought would be good for us to chat about. Let's do it. So the first one is consumption metrics. These are metrics that have to do with the number of people that are actually consuming your content. So I think of that a lot as like when you're putting out content, how many people are actually reacting to it or responding to that? Sort of almost like top of the funnel stuff, don't you think? Yeah, it is. And this is probably something that at least I personally have referred to as like volume metrics especially a lot of those traditional web metrics, things we've talked about like page views or time on site or unique visitors, things like that. Yeah, and I think that's not a bad judgment or a bad way to measure your content. Quite frankly, you want when you're creating content, you're spending a lot of time and effort into it. You want to make sure it's appealing to the right people. There's also an, a, a more than just volume. There's You can get into measuring like how much time people spend actually looking at your content, like time on page. Or you can even look to see if they're reading it on, let's say, social media and they're using that that read on social media to click through to your website, you can actually get a little bit more than just volume. But all of this stuff kind of falls into this consumption marketing metric category, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, even, even us with the podcast or the different show hosts, right? It's, you know, how many people listened, you know, how many people downloaded the, the episode? We don't know how long they listened necessarily or some of those types of things in some cases, but you know, it, it is something that's trendable over time and helps us understand certain types of content resonated, or maybe it's a guest or topic or what have you. Let's do a little test here. For those of you listening in, uh, the first person to hear this and that responds to us on Twitter, we'll send them something in the mail. So tweet us on, on our network uh, Twitter account just to see if, if you heard us this far. That's right. <laughs> However many minutes in. It is. It's something that you could trend over time, and it's more of a volume-based component. The next one, though, is retention marketing metrics. You want to explain what that is? It's, uh, you know, what did you retain? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> they talk, you know, again, back to the website side of the equation. Those are things like bounce rates and, you know, how many people are coming back to the site. You know, maybe it's on the email side of the equation. It's, um, you know, kind of that opt-out metric. So again, how many are you retaining versus how many people are unsubscribing from the content that you send? And, you know, followers on, on social, again, kind of a volume piece, but is that number to continue to grow or, you know, is your audience size shrinking? Are you retaining the people that initially engaged you? That's right. And Reed, we have, when we are measuring our podcast, we're not only measuring downloads, we're, me- we're doing another measurement that's actually trying to track retention marketing, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And so, well, we, we look, obviously, uh, we, we look at a couple of things. We look not just at the, you know, total number of listens for a particular episode, but we thought, you know, more effective and specifically, you know, Dr. V was asking this about the exam room. So we started looking at, well, how many people are listening in the first seven days and in the first 30 days? Because again, over time, the episodes that have been out there the longest or longer have a chance to have more overall listens than than other ones, right? But if the amount of people listening in that first seven days continues to grow, well, then you can make the assumption that obviously your audience is is growing and you're retaining them over time. And so that's a really great example of retention metrics. Now, when you're getting into social media, which is a really great place where people are doing content, you can also start to measure engagement metrics, which are, you know, how many people share them, how many they they respond to it. Maybe they they do some kind of reaction to it they do a smiley face or that's a really great also engagement level type of metrics to show how your content's resonating with audiences. Yeah, even, you know, comments on a blog or if you do an email marketing campaign, people can obviously share that. And so you may then acquire some new subscribers or what have you. And so anyway, anything like that would be kind of that sharing and engagement uh, metric. And I think I think that probably makes sense to most folks. It does. Now, when you get into content marketing, where you're doing marketing to actually drive some kind of action, then you get into something that we call lead marketing metrics, which is, you know, traditionally where it's driving people to actually do something. 
while we're not necessarily selling, you know, we're not a consumer goods uh, type company, right? We're not selling shoes uh, like Nike would be, for example, or something like that. There are still lead marketing metrics. Again, maybe not sales per se, like you think of it in the traditional sense, uh, but we do have you know, lead generation, like people taking, you know, health risk assessment uh, or completing health risk assessment tools online, or maybe they're filling out forms to sign up for a support group or class or seminar or something like that. You can also, uh, if you're doing some uh, influencer marketing, you can encourage them to share this information with their social networks. You can evangelism, sort of brand advocacy. Uh, there's also, you know, upsell, cross-sell capabilities. Often we, we create content around, let's say, a particular type of service, but we also know that maybe people that have diabetes are also concerned about weight loss. So we try to uh, use content marketing to truly drive them to cross-sell or to cross-promote. You know, somebody that does this really well uh, on social specifically, um, and I'm thinking of their Facebook page, is the Cleveland Clinic. And so they do content marketing really well. And they may talk about something in the post and they have the ability for you to then download the guide for that, whether it's AFib or uh, weight loss surgery or what have you. And so that, that downloadable component is what's driving the you know kind of lead marketing metric piece of that equation. Because the post itself would encompass the engagement piece but you downloading the guide then takes it one step further and makes it a lead. Absolutely. And I think Cleveland Clinic is a great example of that. There's other large health systems that, that do a lot of content that's designed to, to drive a lot of action in that regard. Even though you know many of us may not work at large health systems or may not have an effective content strategy, it still doesn't mean that you shouldn't be measuring your content. It just means that you've you got to be a little bit more precise with the work that you're doing. You know, the next one, it goes a little bit further and, you know, past the lead and gets to the sell uh, or the sales marketing metric. And so this is really when we start talking about ROI, especially as it, as it relates to healthcare, because, again, we're not selling a product necessarily in the in the way we think about it in a lot of cases, like Amazon would, for example. And so the sales marketing metric is the actual dollar and it making its way through that funnel. There's different metrics along that way that could measure that. It's interesting when you think about all of these metrics, Reed, it goes from like the very top of the funnel, so to speak, consumption, then to retention, engagement, marketing, and then ultimately sales. It really, it it structures your content measurement across a very traditional kind of sales funnel, if you think about it. But from your experience, do you find that people that are engaged in content creation and even content marketing, that they think about the entire funnel, so to speak, when they're doing their work? Probably not. I, you know, the, the KPI identification may be there. I don't, I don't know that it's a part of a larger plan necessarily, or where does it fit within the, within the funnel or how, you know, what is the funnel for this particular piece of content? It's probably the KPI, not what are the KPIs over the lifespan of this action or piece of content. You know, many of us probably don't have the resources to create content in every stage of that funnel, so to speak, every stage of the journey. So that could also be a little bit of a challenge to us. But that doesn't mean that the work that we're doing in terms of content creation shouldn't be measured. It can be, even if you're not going across every segment of that of that journey, so to speak, right? And so that leads to a series of articles that we found from the Content Marketing Institute. Of course, the Content Marketing Institute as one of our sources here that gets into how you can measure your content marketing in an effective way. Again, we've talked a little bit about KPIs, but this this kind of takes it one step uh, one step further. Why don't we dive into those right after we hear a short word from our sponsor? Today's show is brought to you by Blue Spire, a full-service digital marketing agency focused on complex and highly regulated industries of healthcare, senior living, and financial services. Rapid changes in the healthcare industry are causing consumers to seek out trusted advice, demand more transparency and access to information and content. With over 30 years of healthcare experience, Blue Spire knows how to help you reach, communicate with, and gain trust from these consumers. We help you engage with the right content at every touchpoint, from the first symptom search to appointment scheduling through care management. Visit us at bluespiremarketing.com to learn how we can help you deliver relevant, engaging content through ever-changing touchpoints that matter. 
All right, so uh, let's let's jump in uh, to some of this content from not to be redundant, the Content Marketing Institute. Uh, <laughs> but they talk initially about how to measure your content marketing effectiveness. And again, this is not healthcare specific, but I think it's a great way to think about things, especially as you're getting started and looking at well, how do we measure KPIs relative to to content? They recommend you know. Uh, a spreadsheet. I think, again, this is a great way to just kind of mechanically get started. But, you know, what are the marketing goals? Uh, what are they by priority? KPIs used to measuring the effectiveness of the content kind of plays into there. And then, you know, your plan for gathering this information, because I think that's important too, is it's, again, we talked about it a couple of episodes ago, but documenting everything that we can measure and then what we should measure. And then like, can we measure those things? It definitely shows your gaps if you can't measure those and it gives you an opportunity to talk with people that, you know, maybe can help you fill those gaps. Again, what's the plan for actually gathering the information and who's responsible for doing it? It's not a big stretch to say, here's what we're trying to accomplish. Well, how do we know if that's been effective or not? And then filtering that down to whatever it is that you're doing, in this case, measuring content. And this article, which we'll link into the show notes here, they have a great example of what that spreadsheet could look like. Seriously, a spreadsheet. It could be that simple or a Google Doc or whatever. They indicate in here right below this example of the spreadsheet that they have, they give you actually a list of some common marketing goals and associated metrics that you can use. So like, for example, if you're doing brand awareness, some of your content marketing goals could be website traffic, page views video views, social conversation around it, or, you know, or, or anything along those lines. And that kind of makes sense to me. Yeah. And it walks kind of down what we just talked about a minute ago, quite honestly, it goes from kind of the awareness piece to the engagement piece, to lead generation, uh, even to retention and some of those types of things. And so you can get some great ideas in here. Some of them are going to apply to specifically what you're doing in a hospital. Some of them may not. Inbound links, likes, shares, you know, all this stuff kind of fits in these different these different places. But really getting started, they, they, they line out just a couple of questions to ask yourself. And one of those is, do these metrics support my key goals? I think obviously that that's probably going to be a yes, right? I mean, if we know what we're trying to accomplish from a marketing standpoint, and then we drill down to some of these KPIs, chances are they're probably going to line up, right? The second one, however, I think is what's really interesting, which is, can I act on these metrics? Yeah. So in their case, will they provide insight into how I can improve my program? I don't know that that's when we think about, again, we think about like, ooh, here's something we could track. Then we might even ask the question, should we track it and can we track it? But then I don't know that we've, well, I don't know that I ever really asked the question, can I then use this to act upon? It's like that old adage, right? Just because you can measure it doesn't mean you should. You got to really measure things that actually could drive action. Otherwise, what you're doing is is you're just measuring for measurement's sake, I guess in that case. So let's let's dive a little bit into that. Like uh, that's an interesting concept, right? About using data to actually drive action. A, another Content Marketing Institute article actually got a little bit deeper into it, and, I th- and we thought that this was might be really good to share with our audience around this. One of the first things they say, if you're starting to see how you drive your content marketing to drive action instead of reaction, it's uh, to make sure you're prepared to act on what the data tells you. Yeah, Absolutely. That would make sense, right? And quite honestly, you know, I, I keep going back to the podcast that we're doing. Well, I mean, that's what the data told us, which was I could blog, which again was probably impacted by my infrequency of doing so, but still, you know, I could do written type things, or we could try this audio scenario. And we did that. And, you know, the audience and the listenership has continued to grow. We've had more sponsors, you know, want to partner and and be great supporters. And the data is telling us to do podcasting, right? From a a thought leadership standpoint (laughs) versus, you know, to write a blog per se. And maybe that changes in the future. Maybe it doesn't. Who knows? But right now, that's what the data is telling us. You know, I can give an example. We were we were actually recently measuring some content marketing activity at our at our health system. If you can imagine this scenario, right? We created a blog post and then we used a variety of different ways to promote the blog post in support of a marketing campaign. 
one of the things that we did is we actually were measuring how effective the blog post was in the context of the entire campaign. So, um, you know, where its role is in the journey and, and how well does it do? Now, our intention was really to use the blog post as a way to, for them to get more, more engaged with the content and then move on to actually maybe driving to the website, maybe, you know, picking up the phone to call, whatever that action might be right after that, that blog post. What we measured is, on average, people only spend about 19 seconds on that blog post page. Mm-hmm. If you measure that, you're probably thinking, well, what's our action? What are, what are we prepared to act on? With that, I would say my action was, I have to really look at to see if that's really a true indicated measurement. And or if it is, what can we do to actually shift and change our content strategy? Or is the action to not even do a blog post in the overall flow of things, if that makes sense. Just getting that that measurement of 19 seconds really drove us to act on things. And that's really what you have to think about. If you're measuring it, you have to be able to be prepared to improve things when you need to improve them. And if it's really bad, determine if this is a go or no-go strategy moving forward. Another interesting one in here uh, that they talk about it is, uh, and they, they position it as stop looking at monthly reports. Their key point here, however, is not necessarily that you shouldn't look at monthly reports, but is to find the right balance. To, uh, how often should you be looking at the data, and what you know? How should you compare that data? You know, monthly may not be frequent enough, but daily may be too much, right? And so you've got to kind of find that balance of how often you should be looking at at the reports or at what the data is telling you. And also, they make an interesting point in here, which I think really does line up nicely with with what we do in hospitals, which is don't look at like, you know, month to month. Again, I say don't look. Trend it, do, do that, but compare that month to the month from a year ago, right? So February uh, 18 to February 19. Because again, we have seasonal spikes. You do a bunch of stuff for heart month or breast cancer awareness or whatever it is, is going to skew some of those numbers or the holidays or Black Friday or whatever it is, is going to make something look somewhat out of whack. Back to the podcast again, you know, we, we've been doing our show long enough that we've got some history that we can do some of those types of things. And so you may not have the history there, but that is something if you if you can go back that far to compare you know, and it may be something as simple as some website traffic or something like that to, to really try to help understand what's going on. You know, another thing related to that, Reed, is that, you know, sometimes you create good content and that content just sits out there and continually works for you. You may create content in the, in the construct of like a particular campaign or for Heart Month, but that content may be performing very well for you months, years down the road. And so it's very important to also stop looking at the month-to-month comparison, but also seeing the longstandingness of the content that you're creating. Yeah, and obviously, you know, somewhat dependent on your SEO strategy and things like that. But there are some things that you can do. And I, you know, I've thought of one that I, we did a blog post. I say we, one of our clients did a blog post at one point. It was a heart hospital and they did a just a simple post on like how to check your pulse. Well, it's garnered so much attention. It's just kind of like snowballing at this point. It's not terribly sophisticated of a post, but it's getting so, so much traffic every month. Because again, from an SEO standpoint, it's building on itself. Um, We also had one a few years back where because of a trauma designation, uh, they were trying to think of some things that they could provide the community. Well, they decided on the kind of that traditional first aid kit kind of a scenario, right? And you could fill out a form online and they would send you one kind of a thing that you could have and it folds up and fits in your wallet, one of those deals. Well, somehow that got picked up on one of these like freestuff.com websites or what have you. Somebody showed up on a Monday and there were like, you know, 27,000 entries, you know, for these free. Wow. (laughs) It's hilarious. (laughs) So at one point in time, you could Google like free first aid kit and their like link was the one that would come up, you know, it didn't matter where you were in the world. (laughs) To your point and another point of theirs on here is knowing what to look for. Okay, well, what's relevant, right? That 27,000 people wanting that thing is a neat metric to report. But guess what? 11 of those people were in that service area or whatever, right? I mean, I don't know what the number was. But the point being is like knowing what to look for and, and being responsible with what you're reporting. You know, don't just report the big numbers just so everybody for the wow factor, right? Is being sensitive to what like really matters and, and again, knowing what to look for. 
Well, and the other thing too is really using that content. That content should be helping you define what customers or what people on the journey are actually looking at and trying to make decisions by and how that content can help them make that decision a little bit easier. They describe it here as understanding your customer's purchasing process and how your content marketing program is affecting actionable metrics like lead generation or sales consumption. So back to my earlier uh, example of 19 seconds on a blog post. Well, you know, what we found is, is that that 19 seconds wasn't really the right metric to look at because quite frankly, people were getting to that blog post being referenced there by social media. There was a, a tremendous amount of bounce that, that, that they did on that page, but that's because they actually just picked up the phone and called. Right. So, we're measuring it as bounce rate and only 19 seconds when what they did is they were just getting there to get the phone number and move on. And that's a success, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Also, uh, they, they talk a little bit about knowing where people are coming from. And so that's obviously a big part of content marketing is that referral traffic. That's probably back to more of the KPI side of the equation, but still, you know, understanding, you know, how much of the traffic that you're getting is coming from other sites, whether or not be mentions like you, like you just talked about and some of those types of things. I think all of those things are really important. Like you said, the 27,000 people, right? You know that they were coming from a free site.com or whatever that happens so frequently and in really spending time. And we actually just recently did a, a review of like where all of our referral tracking traffic was coming from. And of course, wouldn't you know it from Facebook, a lot of that referral traffic is coming from suspicious sources. And that's something that we're, we're now having to go in and, and really do some analysis and really try to blacklist those because we don't want that traffic to kind of collude and make our metrics seem more skewed than it actually is. They also talk a little bit about what are some of the you know key uh, KPIs that your content measurement should include. And they kind of go into it a little bit more detail. Unique visits, for example, is one of those. And it's a standard measurement of how many individuals have viewed your content. And that's unique. So typically that 30-day window when they talk about unique, they say this is a good baseline for to compare different forms of content and trends over time. But they also say it's important to keep in mind that not all unique visits are the same. Different types of content leads to different types of, of action or you know, another one kind of under that same umbrella is uh, geography, the people that are showing up, but where are they showing up from? This could help you, you know, identify maybe where you want to spend more money, you know, as far as targeting goes uh, to understand, you know, maybe if somebody did index your free first aid kit and it's a, you know, false positive on how popular this, <laughs> this post is or whatever the scenario may be. And then to kind of, again, along those same lines is uh, mobile, mobile versus desktop or, or what have you. So again, where geographically are they consuming it, but also where technologically are they consuming it? Is it on a desktop or a mobile device? You know, that kind of thing. That gives you a great opportunity to really look at your content on that mobile device. And so a lot of times we create these nice blog posts that look really good on desktop because they have a nice atmospheric image. But I'm telling you, when you're on a mobile device, you want those images to go away. You want to just deliver the content because people don't want to scroll through a nice, pretty atmospheric image to get to the actual meat of your content. The other thing, when we get into like engagement metrics, bounce rates and time spent, that's one that's really important to make sure that your your content's good. But again, remembering it in the overall context here, because sometimes bounce rates and time spent on the page can influence each other and conflate, you know, the average time spent on, as 12 seconds for a 30-page white paper, for example. Well, that's because maybe what they're doing is they're downloading the white paper, Right. And so now you're getting it skewed. They talk a little bit about heat maps and click patterns. And so there's software out there. You can Google around and find different different scenarios that let you put a little snippet of code on a website or blog or what have you. And you can see like how far people scroll down uh, the page on average and where on the page they're clicking and some of that kind of stuff. And, you know, that's obviously very handy because you want to know, you know, are people making it to the bottom of this blog post or this content but also it could come in handy as you think about redesigning a website, for example, and what content needs to stay and go and maybe even how the page itself needs to be structured to maximize that real estate and make sure that you're getting the right content in front of people. 
I'm, I'm telling you, these are all great metrics and great advice that we can give you around creating great content. But I'm going to tell you, there's one thing here, Reed, that no one's really mentioned. And that's actually looking to see if your content's resonant, if it's relevant, if it's written well. And those are some things that it's kind of hard to measure, right? What we're talking about is kind of the nuts and bolts of measurement. But at the end of the day, have you ever sat back and said, this is a well-designed content marketing campaign, but it's not getting the results we need? And you, you go back and you read it and you're like, wait, does this content even resonate with our audiences? That's something interesting to look at, right? Is if you if you look at what content is performing well based on a particular KPI, time on page, for example, or if you're looking at a heat map, people are scrolling all the way through. Do those pieces of content have a certain characteristic to them, right? Are they a certain link? Do they have bullet points? Is it a numbered list? Uh, is there a you know piece of video in the middle of that? Is there a lot of imagery? Is there not a lot of imagery? Anyway, is there something, is something you can glean from that? And with that, I think we're ready now to toss it over to this really great interview that we did with uh, the people over at Northwell Health. And you'd be surprised at how extensive they've gotten with their content measurement strategy. But first, a word from our sponsor. Are you struggling with online reputation management? Binary Health Analytics provides healthcare systems, hospitals, and physician practices a complete view into managing patient feedback from online ratings and reviews and especially surveys. It continuously mines feedback for sediment, uncovering timely and actionable insights. Its management tools help turn these insights into an opportunity to increase patient engagement, manage reputation, and improve patient experience. To learn more about Binary Health Analytics, visit Binary Fountain online at binaryfountain.com. That is binaryfountain.com. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Experts section of our podcast. And today I am really, really excited to talk to two people that I have known for quite a while. And when I knew them, they weren't working together, but now they are. So I'd like for them to introduce themselves. Hi, this is Dina Zark. I'm the Vice President of Branded Marketing at Northwell Health. This is Joe Fierro. I'm the Vice President of Customer Insights and Analytics at Northwell Health. Two people from Northwell Health. It's like I'm going back on a big family reunion or something. (laughs) And you guys work together. It's interesting to have someone that does content and someone that is uh, working on CRM and analytics working together. That's really the gist of the topic that we're going to talk about today. Tell people a little bit about your background, where you came from, your experience, and then how you slowly started to work together. Sure. So I'll jump in. My background has been in data analytics and marketing technology for a couple decades. I've been across many different industries, including uh, financial, publishing, media, retail, and finally, healthcare. Everyone's talking about data-driven, and everyone wants to be data-driven, and it also applies to content and applies to content strategy. So the marriage between um, technology, data analytics, and content, I think, is a natural one. And what me and Gina has uh, have accomplished with the well is basically uh, the connection. We've invested a, a fair amount of money in the tech stack to really bring the context together with the content, and the context being the segment, the location, the identity, the life cycle, the behavior, the value, and putting all these things together really is um, the way that compelling content can really get to an audience and be engaging. Before we get into that, Gina, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I consider myself a a storyteller. I started out as a journalist, um, was a newspaper reporter for a number of years, wrote for some magazines, and then eventually segued into public relations where I worked on a lot of healthcare clients. And that's really where I got the healthcare bug because I think in terms of storytelling, there's no better industry than healthcare. There's so many stories out there, the human interest angle of patients that I just absolutely loved it and led social media for a while at another academic medical center and then eventually came here at Northwell to to do content and to build what we're going to talk about today, which is The Well, which is our digital storytelling platform. 
Okay, I'm excited to get into this. But before we even start down that path, one of the things I've heard, I still hear to this day, but I've heard it for many years, is content marketing is really notoriously hard to measure. How did you guys even start to wrap your head around marrying data analytics with a content strategy play? How did that idea start to germinate? Yeah, I think, you know, for us, when we started thinking about it and we spelt, we spent a solid year really thinking about the strategy, looking at what was out there, looking at our audience. Um, you'll hear, we're going to talk a lot about the chief medical officer of the home, tends to be a woman between 25 to 54, give or take. And we started looking at their consumption habits and, and who they were and ultimately what content would resonate. When we were initially building the well, we knew that distribution was going to be critical and audience development was critical. And we didn't want to create a piece of content that couldn't be measured or that wasn't delivered to the right audience. So what we ultimately ended up doing was really thinking about this moment-based strategy, really target this, this healthcare decision maker, and how would this content resonate and deliver, whether it's on our website, which obviously there's a whole slew of analytics that you could measure there. How well does this perform on social media? What about our e-newsletter? And how do we want to track this across all of the different mediums that we have? When you talk about measuring content, you're talking about time on page? It depends on the objectives and the goals of the organization and what the content is supposed to do. In some cases, it's an awareness play. In some cases, it's an engagement play. In some other instances, we actually want to drive some call to action. So there's certain pieces of content that Gina created on the well specifically to drive to someone to find a doctor and make an appointment. And we monitor that and we monitor the pathing. And also we have a CDP in place. So in other words, if someone doesn't do what we think is the best frictionless track for them, we actually help them along. So when they come back to the website, we serve them up a reminder that say, maybe you want to see find your doctor, uh, a cardiologist or something like that. So there's all different goals and all different objectives for every piece that's written. The well has different sections that's kind of carved out and they, they have their own specific objectives and measurement criteria. And one of the things that we've, you know, we've also done, and I've spoken on this, and, and Joe and I have talking at length about this, is, is the idea of it's not just about traffic, right? It's not just about the page views or who comes to the site. It's really about that audience. So stop focusing necessarily on the traffic and start building that audience. Because to Joe's point, you know, the different content that we have might have a call to action or the way that we want someone to engage, you know, with something that we post on Facebook is very different, right? We're not measuring time on site there necessarily. We might be measuring click-throughs or, you know, what is the, the path and the action that they ultimately take, whether it's to watch a video, you know, to go to the website to find information or something else. So for us, it's really thinking about that audience and then how do we create measurable goals and, and traffic goals for each. You mentioned, Gina, moment-based strategy. Tell us a little bit more about what that, what does that exactly mean? When you think about healthcare, obviously, and you think about this chief medical officer of the home, and like I mentioned, it's, it's 25 to 54, give or take, right? It's used younger sometimes, it's used older, because everyone is going to need healthcare at some point of, in their life at a different touch point. And what we really wanted to do, you know, you can't just create one piece of content and think it's going to be appropriate for everyone. So someone who's 40, for example, is going to be thinking about content much differently or thinking about a healthcare system much differently. They're going to be going through different episodes, different testing that they need, and a whole different stage in their life versus someone who maybe is 18 or someone who is 55 plus. So we wanted to really look at the different moments. And for us, we broke it up by decade. So we said, what is someone, you know, 25 to 34? What are they going through? What are the life events, the healthcare events, the annual testing that they'll need at that age? And then we did it, obviously, for all the other decades. And we brainstormed content ideas around that. When we do distribution on social media or elsewhere, we target that content specifically to that audience. For example, if we're creating a piece of mammogram content, it's most likely going to someone who's like 35 to 44. We're not going to target it to someone who's 25 necessarily, unless we're finding out through analytics or other testing, for example, that they're high risk or they've been looking at other pieces of content that would make them you know, want to see that piece of content. We've been much more efficient on the media spend because of this strategy and have seen just much better results targeting it to the right person. And even the comments we've seen on social media have just been much more germane because it's, it's hitting them right at that moment where they need that content. 
I really get the concept of targeting by age and using that, you know, using decades as a way to start to segment your content strategy. But what I'm what I'm interested in is you're you're applying other sort of data and analysis to this content to see if it's performing well. Joe, can you tell me a little bit about like the back end? How are you measuring this to determine the effectiveness? Like I said, we have a fairly sophisticated tech stack. Part of that is what we call a unified lead management system. So it takes into account the sauce that somebody comes in from, the keyword that they searched that got them there. We can look at their behaviors online. We can see what they're doing on the website. We can understand the particular segment they are. We can understand what their interests are on other websites. And we use all that to come up with a profile and the persona to actually target the appropriate content to the person. And then what we do is we test their interaction with that content. So we go out with A-B testing too, even though they're the segment we know, we see how they perform and we see what resonates with them more. We switch out images, we switch out headers, we switch out a lot of different things to make sure that we can optimize that. Wow. That's pretty sophisticated. I mean, I could imagine that your tech stack is is very uh, integrated across all your digital channels. So I, I think the it was all in the planning process and understanding that there's so many pieces of technology out there. There's so many options. And what you have to really understand is what does a business want to do? What is the best fit for your purpose, not the best in class or the best in breed? And then you have to look at how they naturally integrate together and if you can put them together. It is fairly complicated. There's pieces that I still wish that we had and want to have. There's parts on the advertising side that um, I think would be helpful. And we are actually looking at the Google marketing platform to bring in-house too. So I wouldn't say that we have every touch point, but we certainly have a great deal of intelligence on what, what our consumers are doing. Did you initially test this out with just certain pieces of content or certain moments? First, it was a lot of keyword research, and a lot of Google, how people search things, what resonates with them. And, and Gina looking at, and I don't want to speak for Gina, but looking at the objectives of the organization, where we want to engage, what audiences do we want to drive, how do we want to engage at the top of the funnel, and then her creating content that resonates with them. And then us looking at the analytics, because we had a lot of other content where we can analyze. So we got a lot of intel from the past content that we already had out there. We also built a lot of content too around, we have health risk assessments that we try to get, you know, users who come to our website to fulfill something, you know, HRAs as as we like to call them as well. So we build content around some of those specific moments that we can then use for nurture track campaigns and other things. And that was an easy way to really start to test and see the correlation between someone reading a piece of content and then someone clicking on the HRA, going to our website, and then ultimately completing it. And Joe could get, obviously, the additional information to continue tracking throughout the process. That's where the personalization really gave us a great lift, because depending on the, the person and the persona, uh, we changed the image. We changed a lot of different little nuanced things, whether we showed someone playing golf or someone riding a bike, depending on the different life stage, life cycle, and interest of the segment. And I think that really garnered a, a higher lift. I've been to the well before the website, and we'll link to it in our show notes for sure so people can go see this. Does that mean that me as an anonymous visitor to your site suddenly gets some personalization? Or how did you work into the personalization? Personalization is across other properties as well. The well has personalization as as well. And what you might notice is that there's a ton of content, but most of the content is really its quality above quantity. So we do have AI on the well. We do look at what we can serve up, but if the default is that I can't find something appropriate or timely for you, then I'm going to serve up whatever um, the pattern is showing me that this article went with that, almost like Amazon's next best product. On the other sites, we have a, a higher degree of personalization because we have a lot more intel and a lot more content that we can serve up, whether it be you know the HRA assessments, white pages that we've been offering, seminars that we've been doing. So we just have a broader depth. So it's really... It requires a lot of content to do this. You need tons of content. And and so, Gina, you work with the people that actually develop this content. How do you go about like understanding all the various types of content 
that you need to do for this? Is there a, a process that you follow? Yeah, we do, we do have a process. And when we were creating this, I mean, because we really looked at this, that we were creating an editorial operation, you know, no different than a newspaper or a magazine would do to assemble a staff to think about what are the stories that we want to tell. And to Joe's point, too, we also do have a quality over quantity approach where, you know, some organizations might publish 10 times a day to their site and they want to respond to news of the day and do that. And for us, that isn't necessarily what we want to do at this point, right? We might be publishing anywhere from two to five stories a week and really focusing again on the distribution first. When we were creating the site, we decided to create series franchises and just editorial series. So if you go on the well, there's certain things that you'll see over and over. We have a Dear Doctor column. Um, we have a day in the life where we'll go behind the scenes in, in the day in the life of someone who's either affiliated, you know, with our hospital system um, or someone who may not be that just has an interesting story. We'll do true stories um, or we'll do patient stories on on different topics. So you're getting a with your first person accounts of, of people getting procedures and then a really fun video series that we created for the well called asking for a friend, which are all of those embarrassing questions that you might not want to ask your doctor. But again, as a healthcare system, don't we have an obligation to answer them? Um, so that has really helped us to create, you know, this is the roadmap of what we're doing and having those series and having, you know, series briefs um, give to our writers. You know, this is how you write a dear doctor. This is the word count we're looking for. This is you know, the sourcing that we need for this type of story has been really helpful as we've tried to scale this. Between us, I really like the Asking for a Friend series, by the way. I thought that was brilliant. Joey, you mentioned something earlier I want to circle back to. You said that as people come back to your websites or to all your different digital properties, you try to bring them back in. You try to nurture them back in. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So what we do is what we do try to set up goals for every piece of content they're consuming. And then we look at the people who have navigated through our site. And if we see some traction there, there's some people who aren't following that path. So we want to kind of make it easier to follow that path. So when they come back to our homepage, we'll have a little widget there that will, in one case, one particular program we ran, it was find a doctor, it was a cardiologist. And so they can just click on it. They jump right to the cardiologist and they can search. It's, it's almost like bookmarking something. So when you come back, it reminds them where they were and what they can do because not everyone's going to come exactly to the same page that they were before in a previous session. It sounds to me like you guys built the Amazon for hospital websites. You know what? It's definitely, we took a page from Amazon. They, they landed on Marketo and th that kind of influenced me to see Marketo as a big player and um, it's not a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> I joke about it, but you know, it's really sophisticated. How long did it take you end to end? And I know you're still working on it, but in order to, you know, go from idea, you said it took about a year to plan. Is that right? Yeah, it was, um, it was selling it into the organization. It's fairly complicated and it's complex. And it was wrapping a, a lot of different minds around what this actually is going to become. And then it was actually negotiating with the different technologies and the different partners. And the biggest thing, as you pointed out, Chris, is really the integration, because if you can't get this all integrated and you can't be dealing with people in real time, you, you don't really have the right power or the right stack. And you said selling it into the organization. Gina, Was that is it hard to sell the content strategy before it's actually there into an organization like this? Yeah, I think so. I think anytime you're, you're doing something that's different or that's a departure, there are challenges, right? But there's also like tremendous opportunity with that as well, um, because you get to really build something and, and kind of see it through. You know, for us, when we were building the content strategy here, you know, we didn't want this to be just, for example, you know, a corporate newsroom. We already have a corporate newsroom that shares a lot of our press releases and wonderful news and accolades um, that happen, you know, for the healthcare system. That's not what this was going to be. You know, we really wanted to tell, you know, stories about about patients or just things that would resonate. And we like to say, you know, we really wanted to bring the human back to healthcare um, and to really tell stories that resonate. You know, just as an example, we featured, you know, on the well who are not our patients, just as an example, because they just have a really compelling story that they want to share. And at the end of the day, what we want our audience to take away is what is the emotion that someone is feeling when they're diagnosed with something? What are the questions that they have? And for us, it's, it's agnostic if the person is, is our patient or not. So 
that in itself was a challenge. And I think different than how a lot of healthcare systems probably approach a site like this, where a lot of it is about the awards or the accolades or really putting the organization first. And even if you look at the branding of the site, it's very subtle. It's well by Northwell, right? And that was very intentional. Yeah, it's definitely putting the reader or the patient or the consumer first in the approach that you've taken. Do you have any early success stories or measurement stories? Tell us how it's, it's worked. Um, so the site is, is just about a year old at this point, a little over a year. Um, we've reached almost 1.4 million page views. We have over 620,000 unique visitors who have come to the site. We have tremendously high um, you know, average time on site. Just for the past few months, for example, we did a really huge package on opioids, um, and we did what we call a deep dive about it, where we wrote a 17,000-word piece that was broken up into a four-part series about the opioid crisis including how did it begin, how, how is the country in the position that it's in, and what do we ultimately do to kind of move forward here. And that story, for example, just because it was so long, I think we've yielded time on site of like over five minutes. This as an example, which, which you don't typically see, right? And some of our series too, you know, Day in the Life, that typically yields over four minutes of time on site. So people are really consuming the content. And the other thing we've noticed is that there's also a, a, a a play that we have too, right? And in, in other related links for each article where we want people to go to northwell.edu. Well, users who have never been to northwell.edu before, once they get to Northwell, they're spending more time on site than our average user. They're consuming more pages, usually at least two times more pages. So it's really been interesting to kind of see that dynamic and, and start to build a new audience. I know a lot of people listening in are thinking, hey, how can I get started doing something like this? I know that you described a very complex and, and, and thoughtful approach to what you're doing, but do you have any tips or suggestions for people that want to start into this, you know, this new approach? Yeah, I think for us, I think I think content is critical and I think storytelling itself is critical. And I think you really have to think about your audience and you have to think about the stories that matter whoever your customer is, whoever the consumer is that you're ultimately trying to target. In most cases, as we've seen, consumers are getting really savvy. They're inundated with advertising, whether it's on TV, on you know billboards and bus shelters. And then obviously you have digital marketing. So people are just inundated and, and people are really smart, I think, and they can weed through content that's truly valuable to them versus something maybe that's an ad or something that you know, isn't anything much more than like a marketing message. I think having the right stories and thinking about that audience is critical. For us, when we launched The Well 2, we also did a really extensive testing model on social media to find out what content is going to resonate best with our audience. We did some of these tests for no more than $200. So it wasn't like we spent a ton of money on it. We did a lot of A-B testing. Joe mentioned some of this before, but we tested images. We tested headlines. We even tested targeting, right? Like if we're doing mammogram content, should we only target 35-year-olds or should we also target 45-year-olds? Through that, we were really able to create some key learnings and some efficiencies down the line that really helped us as we've continued our, our paid effort as well. Joe, do you have any tips that you would give to people maybe on the back end? Know what the goal is, know what the organization wants to go, and make sure that you have a roadmap and a vision. And I would say to phase it so you have parts and milestones where you can show success. And I, you know, we're talking about all this very sophisticated things, and we still have a long way to go. We still have to leverage a lot more of this, but at least we started off with an idea. Hey, we want to get to one-to-one -one marketing. Hey, we want to be relevant. Hey, we want to only uh, send information that is meaningful to the consumer. And with this, it just kept evolving. But if you don't have that overall vision and roadmap, then it's going to fall apart on you. I was just going to ask you too, like, what are the next steps? How do you see this evolving for the future? I'm really pretty jazzed about AI. And I think that AI is really the future. And I think that's the way this is really going to scale. And I think it's the way it's going to optimize content and optimize every marketing program that we do. And it's interesting when you look at the companies that are really growing very fast and you look at the Wall Street darlings, it's really the companies that have AI because they realize they can't put that many people and resources towards giving this personalized experience. So when you look at these um, like Stitch Fix and these offers of 
personal shopping. And some people actually feel like there's a personal shopper there. They don't understand it's AI formulating this learning and giving them a wardrobe that they want to wear. It works for them. And I feel like that's what we have to apply to everything that we're doing now. So what I'm hearing, Joe, is that you're saying that robots are going to start writing content for you? You know what? Robots can actually write content. Uh, (laughs) They've tested it in a number of things, especially when there's a lot of stats involved, like uh, baseball and uh, sports writing. But you can't replace Gina's arc and and that magic. (laughs) Gina, where do you see this evolving from like a content development perspective? Yeah, you know, I think for us, it's we've really just scratched the surface, right? So it's definitely quality over quantity. At this point, I think we want to scale up. We have an e-newsletter that we send out every other week. We've had open rates of 40%, which is well above industry average. So I even look at something like that, where how do we create and utilize personalization to have better delivery e-newsletters? How do we really start to segment the e-newsletter so it's not a general one that everyone is receiving, but it's really specific either their decade or the topics or interests, you know, that they want to get information on. I'm really impressed, certainly impressed by this. You know, if people want to learn more, I'm certainly going to link to the well in our show notes, but what other ways can they maybe reach out to you to learn a little bit more? I'm G-Zark, uh, G-C-Z-A-R-K on Twitter, also on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn and um, my personal email is jjfierro42 at gmail.com. I'm not adverse to sending me an email to my work, jfierro at northwell.edu. <laughs> I think that a lot of people listening in are going to be really inspired by your story and about the, all the thoughtful work that you did. And I'm going to certainly start to look at this differently. And the next time, uh, you know, next time a new piece of content pops up, I'm going to wonder if if that was written by a robot or that was the, the idea of Gina. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you don't enjoy it, it's a robot, Gina. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. We really appreciate you being on today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. At HealthGrades, Better Health gets a head start. They help millions of consumers each month to find and schedule appointments with their provider of choice. With their scheduling solutions and advanced analytics applications, they partner with more than 500 hospitals across the country to cultivate new patient relationships improve patient access, and build customer loyalty. To learn more, visit them online at healthgrades.com. That is healthgrades.com. All right, wonderful interview there from our friends over at Northwell Health. Yeah, good old Joe Fierro and Gina Zark. Now, I actually, I know Joe very well. He and I worked together. I hired him and brought him into Northwell at the time. And Gina Zark is someone that I got to know when I was living out in New York as well. And just the two of them together, they're like a little powerhouse there. Such a great case study there. And I really encourage you to go out to their website. We'll link to it in the show notes. Take a look at the stuff that they're doing. It's really cool. Awesome. Very, very cool. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, speaking of stuff that they're doing, the stuff that we're doing, uh, (laughs) we've got uh, a few conferences coming up. You know, it's really interesting. I'm in the throes, uh, are participating in helping uh, plan the the annual Mayo Clinic conference that happens in the fall. So more about that as kind of the days and weeks progress. We've got another thing or two during the summer that we may mention. But what's our next one we're going to? What's what's the next conference on the on the agenda? Well, we got this, the Forum for Healthcare Strategists, right? That's in May, end of May, and that's in Chicago. So it'll be a nice time in Chicago there, and there'll be a lot of people there. That's the one we got booked. What else do you have, Reed? There's several other things. There'll be some THA conference, our ATHA conference this summer and a couple of other things. But if you're interested, uh, I will mention that as you're listening to this, I think the American Telemedicine Association annual conference is going on that Greg Matthews, host of Data Point, has done some episodes leading up to and will be there. So a lot of cool stuff happening. You can keep up with all that, actually, if you sign up for the TPS report, which is our weekly email that comes out every Monday with aggregated and curated content from around the industry. So if you'd like to uh, sign up for that, you can do that over at touchpoint.health when you're checking out all those other cool shows. All right. What do you have for recommendation today? Reed, I'm going to recommend something that I just started to read. 
and it promises to be a really good book. It's a book called Firms of Endearment, How World-Class Companies Profit from Passion and Purpose. So get this. We're, you know, I'm spending a lot of time thinking about how experience and marketing and digital all play together, and this is really important. And uh, this book is a study that was done, or I guess it was a group of MBA students that did some research around some of the companies that really understand experience and really take it to the whole next level where it redefines how they are in the marketplace. Costco, Commerce Bank, Wegmans, Whole Foods, there's a variety of them in here. You know, when you think about those companies that really come to the top, spring to mind as like the best experience, well, they're in here. And it gets into what are some of those characteristics, how they created a framework around experience, and how they've made that into their competitive differentiation. It's a really great book. It's I just started it, so but it promises to be really good. It's called Firms of Endearment. Very cool. That sounds pretty interesting. Uh, I may have to check that out. We mentioned this earlier or uh, on, on the intro or alluded to this, I guess. And so I'm recommending something blind. I actually have not seen this. Uh, and I'll give, a, I'll give a caveat recommendation as well. But the documentary on Instagram that has to do with following the three teens, which apparently it's a daredevil photographer an aspiring model, and a lonely Ohio girl. So again, I haven't seen this, I have no idea, but anyway, it's Instagram's impact on their lives, and it's called uh, Social Animals on, on Netflix. So you can check that out at your own leisure. Uh, and if it's, ter- if it's terrible, don't hold it against me, because I, again, I haven't seen it, but I do uh, see that there are new episodes of Arrest Development, which is probably a better recommendation. So there you go. That's your backup recommendation, right? Right. right. So <laughs> Social Animals, I think I'm going to watch. Maybe I'll, I, if I don't like it, I'll hate watch it. And if I do like it, I'll just regular watch it. But either way, um, it's great that we live in a, an environment where there's so much content that we can actually have pleasure from hate watching something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well... <laughs> So ends another wonderful episode of Touchpoint. Thanks again for listening. Uh, Touchpoint.health is the website. Uh, He is Chris Boyer, and I'm Reed Smith. We'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.